0: Welcome back to Joker Men, a podcast about Bob Dylan, and today's a very special episode because it's uh, non-chronological, and we are just jumping ahead to the immediate present. Well, actually, to like, what, a a month ago? Uh, A month ago, yeah. To the release of Rough and Rowdy Ways, the the latest album by Bob Dylan. Uh, Latest and greatest? perhaps perhaps really
1: the um the the album experience of of the year certainly if not um you know the decade absolutely although i guess it's the first year of the decade so year and decade are both synonymous in this case
0: means both means it's the best album of the 2020s i think we like it yeah <laughs> we love this folks it's good
1: a a real a real three star record i would say i'm not gonna i'm not gonna even wait to 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 lay down the the rating until the end of it three stars no question three out
0: of three this is a a great record i was watching anthony fantano the internet's busiest music nerd emphasis on the nerd here i have Um, never
1: like i'm I'm obviously aware of him and the needle drop and stuff but i can't say that i've ever actually viewed a single one of his videos uh,
0: god bless you i was morbidly curious and um wasn't disappointed because uh he gave it a strong four to a light five out of ten uh it's just remarkable to see somebody um somebody who just doesn't know how to enjoy life and Probably never will.
1: By what criteria is he assigning a, what you say, a strong four or a weak five? Uh, or? I don't know.
0: I only am really talking about this because it's one of the few negative reviews I've seen of the record. And uh, obviously at this point, you know, I don't agree with a negative assessment of the thing. But um, I just think it's worth mentioning because... It's really interesting to see someone miss the point so so insanely hard
1: <laughs> yeah it has the record has been almost like universally praised as far as I've seen which is uh, all the more remarkable a not only given like you know just the uh, environment in which uh, it was released today but B you know kind of the the background um, in which like it, it came out in the middle of like the protests and stuff. Um, when there was this great, grand reckoning against, uh, you know, uh, whatever your uh, favorite pop psychology term is for uh, any of that, but um, yeah, just just a, a a straightforward guitar, quote unquote, rock and roll record by an almost eighty year old white guy like this doesn't seem like it should have been met, or doesn't seem like it could have been met with such universal acclaim in uh, in two thousand twenty, and yet you know here we are versus like you know Neil Young records get get panned um or um i don't even know who else is still putting records out like that but you know bob bob is uh is is on a uh, another plane of existence i would say
0: the last neil young record was uh i think warmly received but i get your point wasn't the last neil young record though like the old like it was
1: actually neil young record from like 1974 or something right
0: but it was uh everyone was happy that he decided to put it out <laughs> Right. <laughs> I I think that the image of Bob on a on a separate plane of existence is very apt. I think that if this record has like one word that really helps to understand it, if I could give a key, a key word, it's a synthesis perhaps.
1: How so? Synthesis. How, how how do you figure?
0: Synthesis in that it is a synthesis of old and new. And of fiction and nonfiction. um, Those are the two main ones, honestly. (laughs) I feel like that's what Bob is so special for doing right now, and uh, why I'm annoyed when people act like that's no big deal. You don't have that many people, that many artists who have as deep a connection to the past, I should say, and to the broader cultural, musical, literary, History of America making music when one of those people is also Bob Dylan and i I just don't understand um, how you are lazy enough not to meet this halfway with your own imagination maybe
1: um, yeah I mean uh, I, I think that it's a sort of close the circle on whatever we had to say or don't want to say about anthony fantano like if you are if you're grading a bob dylan record according to some sort of arbitrary numerical rubric um like that i think you've you've kind of missed the point uh you know we we've adopted the three-star system but this isn't the kind of record that you can or, or should try to quantify in any regard especially you know within the first like two or three weeks of its release this is this is such an unbelievably like dense and meaty kind of recording. It's going to take weeks and months and years of living with it to really let it breathe and, and turn into whatever it's going to become, or whatever it already is, you know, uh, over time.
0: Yeah, maybe to put it in a different way, a thing that makes me roll my eyes at somebody giving this album—I mean, a five or four <laughs> out of ten. It really seems to come from a place of not having any interest in the history, in history, really, (laughs) because within five minutes, any five minutes of this record, there's references all up and down the gamut of historical, cultural, musical, artistic life, to not take the time to appreciate the breadth of what's being referenced the fact that he can reference all these things and does so freely seems to indicate a lack of curiosity overall to somebody who doesn't appreciate that
1: right yeah i mean it it's it is clearly not a record made for these times like it, it's something that exists um as part of an alternate dimension it, it has come out of another world and landed for whatever reason in in this one
0: on the contrary i do think that it is a record of these times. And I think that is a way more interesting way to view it and to listen to and, and to enjoy it because you see him mention the Godfather and Scarface, um, or for that matter, you know, like he, he, this isn't new in uh, modern times aptly named that record. He mentions Alicia Keys in the first song, but, um, these modern references in, in Dylan's later work, I find them really heartening and I love them because they're like some kind of hand to hold on to that reminds you like, no, this isn't a nostalgia act. This isn't forever tethered to some old glory days. He's still making these connections and they're happening right now. The real treasure is that you are seeing new bursts of synaptic activity from this guy's brain. This actually is about right now. And it's remarkable because it includes the past.
1: Yeah. No, I, I, I'm with you on all that. I mean, he, he's clearly aware of and, and commenting on things that are happening these days. Uh, what I more meant is that like the the kind of record that it is, is not it does not fit into the contemporary you know, pop music scene of. whatsoever. For sure. Uh, I mean, it, it obviously, we're aware that it ends in a 17-minute long, almost tuneless kind of spoken word performance that's one of the most amazing songs, I think, that I've heard in several years at this point. Same. But the the density and literacy of the lyrics, the the slower and kind of delicate and hand-wrought sense that the music has. Like, it's clear that he was just in a studio with uh with like some crack players. There's no fucking uh um logic plugins or like synthesizers or Euro racks or anything involved anywhere near. In this is just like, you know, a guy singing into a mic and a guitar and a bass and a drum kit and that's about it. Um and a piano. The the way the music was made and the way that it should be appreciated, the way it should be listened to, doesn't really fit into this world when, you know, every song should be uh like algorithmically generated to crank up on the Spotify charts and like you know uh be be uh, viral and memeable and shareable on TikTok and shit like this like this is this sounds like the kind of record that should still exist in a world where records are pressed to wax and shipped across the country and you have to buy them for $25 or whatever the equivalent of that was in 1968 and you have to carve out what, this record's like 70 minutes long, 75 minutes long, you have to carve out that amount of time to plop your ass down in your living room in front of your stereo and put the record on the, the turntable and, like, that's what you're doing. You're sitting there listening to this record. It's not something that's blaring in your AirPods while you're on the subway or going for a run or something.
0: Well, in my case, it absolutely is something that is <laughs> blaring on my AirPods, but, no, I totally agree with you, and I think that even the way that the album was marketed is... In a very old-timey, sort of anachronistic style. The title of it, "Rough and Rowdy Ways," all the typefaces, everything about the record screams that it wants to be consumed in a way that is more consistent with an older time than today. Than
1: today, right? What uh, on on that note, uh, this and dear listener, in in case you haven't uh, intuited. Up until now, this this I think is going to be a little more just, uh, you know, free association scattershot jump around the record because uh, we haven't been able to live with this the same way that we have with all of Bob's other material.
0: Yeah. With the other ones, we've we've known about them, you know, since they came out 40 years ago.
1: Yeah. And we've we've done strenuous uh, and and very well uh, documented research and uh, lots of preparation and, um, you know, Excel spreadsheets and we
0: were at all the shows, and we were there yeah this is is new for everyone
1: we're all we're all getting through it together but on yeah on the on the note of the uh you know the presentation of the record and the the stuff like that i I do think we should carve out a few minutes and just talk about the cover uh because this is one of the most <laughs> um the uh, <laughs> one of the most striking things yeah. about the record, I would say, is uh what I believe to be uh, <laughs> one of the worst covers. Uh, of all of Bob's I, discography which is saying a lot uh but I know <laughs> I know you're a fan so I wanted to uh I wanted to I I wanted to, try to dig cover. into this a
0: little bit um I'm probably the only one but for whatever reason the look and feel of it works for me even the the fact that it's in the wrong aspect ratio or whatever the the <laughs>
1: that, that, that's so. it's letterboxed it's so fucking weird
0: I have to I think that the picture on the cover is a very shoddily colorized version of an old black and white photograph um,
1: okay so you think it's an old picture that's been like run through some filters it's not a recent picture that's been made to
0: look old no I believe it's an old photograph, quite old, and it was maybe one that Bob Dylan presumably liked enough that even though it was so old that it was in a weird ratio, uh which would force them to not have it be square, he was determined to have it be the cover. So for on that note, you know, it's to something about it gives me a feeling that it was that it's specific it has some intention behind it that could be wishful thinking but I like that about it and I love the title um the images of these people in what looks like a uh, some kind of juke joint um a guy at an actual jukebox uh and some people dancing the the typeface is another thing to talk about. Yeah, the about font is me.
1: really, like, is is a big part of the crime uh, of what's going on here.
0: <laughs> the crime. <laughs> well, I I think that I'm a little bit desensitized to this type of thing because the graphic design and the typefaces on the last few records, um, Triplicate, Shadows in the Night, and Fallen Angels, not to mention Modern Times and Together Through Life, all have this heavy pinch of uh, old timiness to them. This one is a very particular strain of old timey nostalgia visually. It looks like the text that might come up before a Popeye cartoon or something like that (laughs) from the thirties or like a newsreel at a movie theater (laughs) where you see footage of uh, like a plane crash (laughs) in a field. (laughs)
1: the uh, covers of all the records that have come out in the last you know however long 20 decades or t- two decades 20 years uh i think have been 20, 20 decades, 20 decades <laughs> yeah um quite a few years i like i like i compare this initially to triplicate which is the last thing that he put out before this which is like uh it does have you know a, a very heavy dose of old timiness as you put it but it also has like a, um, there's like a sense of depth to it and like um
0: it's very understated that's just a just text on a beautiful yeah like a
1: dark crimson background Yeah, exactly crimson yes um yeah it, it it's befitting the music somehow like it um it, it they go together i think um and the same the fallen angels cover is kind of shitty but shadows in the night is great um tempest i think is interesting um how could I forget Tempest? But this just the cover I think is so is so clearly like at odds with the sound and the vibe. Like you're totally right. This this is clearly an image that was taken in some sort of juke joint whether that is something recent and then made up to look like it's from the past or whether it legitimately was from the past. Um but this is this is the last thing in the world that you would imagine the guy at the jukebox on the cover uh you know throwing a nickel in and and um, and pressing play on like, you know, um, uh, I guess maybe false profits or something like that. Maybe you could get away with that. But like crossing the Rubicon or Key West or something like that um, is not is not what you're going to be grooving with uh, your honey to on a uh, on a Saturday night.
0: No, well, you're not going to be grooving with your honey to any of this, um, which brings me to to talk about the actual music or the approach of the music and in a sense, how it relates to the cover. This is very different from an album like Nashville skyline, for example, the great Nashville skyline, Nashville skyline, an album that is great, but how do I put this? I would say that some Bob Dylan records do play a, a role. Like the whole record is a, an approach toward a type of music, toward executing a kind of music. So Nashville Skyline is is a country record and a successful one. Triplicate is a classic songbook album and a very successful one. But then there are other records throughout Dylan's career, which they are original music and they are staunchly so fiercely so. It references other music in a way that is totally unique. It will go on these flights of fancy lyrically in a way like nobody else would or does. and it's a vehicle for that inclination of of Bob Dylan uh, as an artist. Those are like the, the two types of Bob Dylan records, as far as I can reckon, and the album cover of this one. I I find just so funny and so uh, charming because it's so shitty cosmic a record (laughs) well yes because of the sort of contrast it has or the the absurdity of it which I think absurdity is another really uh, great asset to this record is that it acknowledges absurdity and it 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 breaks the fourth wall I suppose is what I mean to say this record winks and nods at you in ways that nashville skyline simply isn't interested in
1: right right yeah i i see what you mean i mean um yeah i, I think the the like two types of dylan records um schema that you've uh uh laid out there to use a five dollar word is uh it makes sense like it, you know there there are the records on which he has adopted a pose right um, or, or there, there's kind of like a like a, a unifying theme, and then there are the records that are just Dylan records like natural records um and the former you know the the posed records are yeah are, are your Nashville skylines are your um are your Christian records are your um you know even self portrait maybe um,
0: uh, I would say even the early folk records are dylan as a folk singer as a folk sure. musician um he is not this of course bleeds into and becomes something else by the time we get to bringing it all back home and so on uh, it's kind of become too big for its britches it's no longer just folk songs it's its own right. thing he's found his own voice as an artist and throughout his career he's gone back and forth in terms of futzing with the dial of how much he wants to go uh, full Dylan or or when he wants to dial it back and just sort of have people appreciate other music through his lens.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I I agree. I I think that this is, I, I think that this is one of the Dylan records that it is just like a, it's a Dylan record, right? Like it's just a, but like the 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 put on is that it's just a Bob Dylan record. This
0: is like the most Bob Dylan record of all.
1: <laughs> yeah, like right, it, he's not adopting any sort of genre put on or uh, or or trendy, uh, you know, approach to music make or something. It's just like this is this is a Bob Dylan record, and it you know it can only ever be a Bob Dylan record, regardless of what year it came out in.
0: The, yeah, this record has the sort of special distinction of being the most blatantly old timey in its presentation while also being one of the least sentimental of his catalog.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I, I think that's, uh, yeah, I, I agree entirely. Like going back to that, uh, that interview he gave, um, you know, a week or two before the record came out, you know, the famous on the level uh, mindset interview. yes (laughs) yes <laughs> um, we talked about it you know when, when it came out uh, but it has just stuck with me like how how like not rose colored glasses E uh, he is um, not how how unnostalgic or unsentimental he is you know when the interviewer is trying to bait him into like talking shit about kids these days or whatever he's just like yeah you know they, they, they were born after we were they grew up in a different world than we did they have different opinions on things than we do that's just how it goes and yeah, so you're, you're exactly right. Like This record is, is not at all attempting to like fit in with what's going on today or keep up with the times or whatever, but it isn't, it isn't reactionary either. It's not like he is strenuously or strictly opposed to what's happening these days um, and is trying to make some sort of grand statement about things were better way back when. He's just unconcerned with it. He's just operating in his own continuum that is or is not in tune with the the waves of the day as they come and go. Well,
0: I think that it is in tune because I think the the thing, the sort of unspoken thing that powers this record and continues to power Bob Dylan has always powered and given life to his his work most of the time is that he's somehow in touch with something timeless. And maybe that that his hold on that has waxed and waned at various points. But it seems like now more than ever, he's got that in his pocket as like his secret weapon. What else lets someone pull off some of the lines in this thing the way he does? Right. The Godfather Brando and the Scarface Pacino. Are in reverse order get a robot commando mix them up in a tank get a robot commando <laughs> famous line from this record the fact uh, that that line is already like basically a famous line in bob dylan's lyric canon uh that he can pull out a line like that and then make you uh cry with the next song
1: yeah he, he certainly can make you cry with the next song which is uh which is maybe my favorite song on the record you know we haven't even dis- yeah we haven't talked about the songs we haven't
0: talked <laughs> about the songs yet and i i'm almost kind of inclined to keep that trend going because uh i don't know how much good it does to really talk about the songs um one by one maybe the best thing to do is just to sort of talk about why you should listen to this album yourself but i have to agree with you uh yeah if we're going to talk about a song that's a what a song
1: what a song um I, I think it would be interesting or or could be interesting just to think about the record you know not necessarily song by song like you were saying but in in the same way that we've approached all the records up until now just you know kind of side a side b um especially for a record like this that is so defiantly just kind of um out of out of time um, cause I think, I think the two sides of this record, you know, the first five songs, basically in the last five songs are very distinct. Like, uh, you know, the, the, the first half is doing something very different than the second half. Um, and, uh, and I think the sequencing is, is all, uh, is wrapped up in that too. So, um, I don't know. I, I think it's a, it's an interesting contrast that he presents between the way the record begins and then obviously the way that it ends.
0: Yeah. The two sides are very different and very distinct. When I was just listening back to the record um, a bit before we started recording this, uh, I was just kind of stunned all over again at how many different types of songs there are on this record. There's actually a type of song for every mood that I would want uh, (laughs) on an album pretty much here. I Contain Multitudes is the perfect first track for this record because there are so many different angles that follow.
1: Yeah, he's 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 sort of laying out the uh the mission statement for everything that's going to follow. He he's literally stating uh I contain multitudes and I'm about to show you nine other versions of of those multitudes uh that I contain. Um yeah, it, there's there's it really is a zero filler kind of record. Um I think I think each each song kind of fits in where it does as like a as just the right puzzle piece that brings you from here to there from here to there.
0: Yeah, and sometimes that's more dramatic, sometimes it's more subtle what what a song's function on the runtime is, but yeah, they all have a place there and I wouldn't take any of them out. And the sound of the record I think is magic it sounds amazing uh Blake Mills his contribution to this thing can't be uh understated I think it makes the record uh, instrumentally he wrote one of the best songs I've heard in ages recently a song called Summer All Over and it's a song which made me weep like every time I listen to it I haven't listened to it that much because of how much it strikes me when I hear it but um did a great job two three stars to his guitar playing
1: <laughs> yeah the uh the, it does sound impeccable really and and like something that's like uh, like being recorded late at night uh in in like the most well equipped and like acoustically sound kind of studio you can imagine um yeah i mean the the recording is really just impeccable it sounds um like everything um it sounds like nothing actually that that sounds like
0: everything sounds like nothing
1: sounds like everything and nothing all at once Um, it does
0: and a and a like a cup of coffee and a a, at a darkened studio space at four in the morning um it sounds like that all the players are great including the special guest player fiona apple yes the secret (laughs) ingredient fiona apple
1: what's I I, I I remember when the record came out and people were like you know talking that up is like a, a big thing I, I I I can't even place her contribution when I listen to it what where is she where is, what song is she on where is she, Who is she, she, doing?
0: she um, <laughs> what is she and what does she want um, no she's uh, I believe she plays piano um I don't know which song and I don't have the the info right in front of me but uh whatever she's doing she's doing super well because everything sounds great got it
1: all right on that note uh, just in terms of contributions and and uh, guest appearances
0: musical influences yeah uh, are we talking about the controversy now
1: yeah well i i i feel like it does deserve a, a bit of a bit of discussion uh yeah. especially considering your like two degrees of separation from the instigator of the controversy
0: well, I just know someone who knows Phoebe Bridgers who was uh tweeting about how um uh how about how Bob Dylan uh he lifted uh the music for uh False Prophet from a old blues tune by Billy the Kid Emerson. Um Billy the Kid isn't that funny cuz we just talked about Peck Harriet and Billy the Kid. Uh <laughs> Yeah, there's a song by Billy the Kid Emerson and it's called If Loving is Believing and it sounds, it is the same. (laughs) Musically, (laughs) these songs are the same. Uh, But here's my retort to any complaint because some people felt, you know, this is uh, an injustice. How, How dare Bob Dylan not credit his music with the song being with the songwriting credit to say nothing of the fact that all over the album self portrait by bob dylan there are many songs which were not written by bob dylan which are credited to bob dylan um <laughs> this is not something that is new as a trend uh, of bob dylan's career and to me in the greater context of what's happening on this record it makes perfect sense that the music on a, on a song would be lifted wholesale from another track in, in blues history. Um, The purpose of the songs are totally different. I wouldn't listen to Billy the kid Emerson's song for the same reason that I would listen to false prophet by Bob Dylan. Well, I like them both. One of them is about three, four times as long and is full of lyrics that have nothing to do with being in love. And uh, I'm sure Columbia Records gave the guy some money. I hope so. That would be the right (laughs) thing to do, but I simply have to throw this one to the artistic license pile.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean... uh... You know, when when you're when you're thinking about like the material compensation aspect of things, like you know that that does throw. Apparently,
0: the man's still alive. That's that throws a, another wrinkle into this. Um, that Billy, the kid Emerson, is like ninety something years old. Yeah, look, Columbia Records, please, Bob Dylan, uh, please give the man a check. But um, overall, I just simply. Reject the premise that the way to a meaningful musical tradition is to be a cop about when people appropriate and take things and refashion them. (laughs) I don't think that's how we got here. I don't think that's how you get to any kind of interesting musical history if at some point in the early development of blues or folk music, for example, people had just started saying, uh, why'd you steal that melody from me? I'm owed some, I'm owed a dime or whatever.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think it's, it's obviously telling that uh, someone like uh, Phoebe Bridgers, uh, who, you know, I don't, I have no, I have no uh, bones to pick with her necessarily. Um, But, you know, someone who's young and um, uh, grew up in, uh, you know, uh, late capitalism, end of history, neoliberalism, whatever phrase you want to throw at it, Uh, someone who was raised in that environment and and has only ever known that sort of uh, world, it's telling that that type of person would would highlight this as an issue. Because it's you know the world, this world, our world today, um, and the world from which Bob comes, and certainly from which Bob draws influence, are are different worlds. They're they're incompatible basically. And so this this idea of like each song exists as like a like a um, a property, um, a commodity to own and to collect rents from. You know, it's something to be enclosed, like the commons. Uh, um, you know, the tragedy of the commons. The Phenomenon from whatever that was—I don't know—sixteenth, seventeenth century England, when the common, the common land had to be enclosed by or was enclosed by private property holders to prevent their their spoiling, or or so the theory went. This kind of music, like a, a blues, a, a blues riff or a folk song, these heritage-based musics that are passed down from people to people over the years, over the decades, from uh, place to place. Like, the the standard American copyright system is, is just not designed to to jibe with
0: that. No. What do you think folk, in the word folk music, means? To me, folk music, like folk art, it means that it's of the people, which means that it is not something you talk about like a lawyer. You don't talk about these things in a way that, where, where one person owns it or has sole ownership of something no matter what i just think it goes against the spirit of the thing and it's a bad faith approach to people who are actually who actually care about that as a as a musical tradition um to inject this sort of bureaucracy into the thing i mean yeah bob dylan is a very wealthy old white man but (laughs) If anybody's going to be wealthy and successful, Jesus Christ, can we have it be somebody who's making great music and like has a clear respect for the history of where that music came from?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, like it's just, uh, again, like, if we're talking about material compensation uh, and stuff, like, that's legitimate, and obviously times are tough these days. And so people who presumably aren't quite as well off as Bob uh deserve all the help that they can get but i just i i don't i don't think at the end of the day that it's something that uh bob sat down and made some sort of um deliberately uh, malevolent decision to be like oh i'm going to steal this riff and not credit it to billy emerson from 65 years ago and just pretend that it's mine and um and you know i'll get away with this crime basically you know it's it's it, he heard he heard the he heard the the riff he had some lyrics. They went together through some alchemical reaction. And, uh, and now we have a new song that will uh, presumably be reinterpreted and uh, evolved into something else somewhere else down the line, 10, 20, 60 years, um, just the way that, uh, that this older song was kind of transmogrified into a false prophet here in a totally different world in a way that I'm sure Billy Emerson n- never could have foreseen or would have planned on.
0: Just like "Werewolves of London" was used in that Kid Rock song,
1: <laughs> uh, ooh, yeah, great song.
0: Also, I would never, ever would have heard that uh, Billy the Kid Emerson song if it weren't for this song by Bob yeah, Dylan. Fair enough. Don't don't cancel <laughs> Bob Dylan. That's just don't try that. Just don't. Come on.
1: Don't cancel Bob yeah well you're just you can't cancel bob is Bob is uncancelable, so don't um you know don't well didn't don't work. make a fool of yourself a
0: couple of tweets can't hurt the man he'd have to do something real bad yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah uh yeah I'm imagining his name popping up on the like uh little saint James flight manifests now don't even uh Hopefully not. I can't I can't imagine Bob would have been friends with Jeff and Ghislaine. No. Although I could see him being friends with, like, Woody, and so that's, like, friend of a friend kind of thing. I don't know.
0: You think Bob Dylan would be friends with Woody I Allen? See it.
1: I, or I could see it. Or I could see Woody Allen wanting to be friends with Bob and Bob, like, kind of, like, unwillingly, like, going along with it for a night just, like, because he doesn't want to be an asshole or something.
0: I... Can't imagine it, but also you know, it anything's possible. The man contains multitudes.
1: As he as he says. Um, yeah. I mean, we've gone uh, we've gone a little while here, and I don't know that we've really said anything, but we have said a lot. What's uh? Do you have do you have a favorite favorite track off of this uh off this record so far?
0: Do I have a favorite track? I think. Off my first listen, I think it was number four. I've made up my mind to give myself to you, but it it's especially a favorite in the context of everything before and after it. And by that, I mean, I love that it comes this this simple, poignantly simple love song appears in the context of an album. Which has thrown so many images and oblique references at you, and uh, has this sense of humor, whether it's something I'll give you a chuckle, or if it, if it's darkly absurd. In whatever the case, the fact that this pure love song just exists on this record is really it. It has so much weight because of that.
1: Yeah, I I agree entirely. We are we're gonna have to come to. Uh... Come to a consensus on this one. Uh, I think that's that's really kind of the the standout shining star for me. I do I do think the the like the last three songs on the record, basically uh, crossing the Rubicon, Key West, and Murder Most Foul, obviously, which we might get a chance to chat about in greater detail at some point. Um, uh, those are like their own thing. It's like you know a, th- a three act play or something at the end of all this. But yeah, just like on a on a single song basis, I think uh, I've made up my mind to give myself to you. Is really the Really, the knockout stunner for me, um, and yeah, I think that's a great point. Like you said, like you know, he, he's got so many uh, cultural illusions all throughout the record. Some of which are funny, some of which are not. Uh, but you know, Anne Frank, Rolling Stones, Indiana Jones, um, Julius Caesar, uh, Scarface, Al Pacino, McKin- yeah, like you know, up and down. And then here's here's the one song in the middle of the record that's literally just like you know he's talking about him and he's talking about her, um, and um, and or- it's or. Or what, whoever, whoever the case uh, may them, be. Well, we we can use a uh, you know uh, the the correct uh, pronoun, and it's it's uh, sung in such like simple, straightforward, unadorned kind of language. You know, it's it's very beautiful and literate, obviously, but it is it's it's not dressed up, it's not gussied up or anything. It's just like you know, it's it's straight from the heart. And yeah, that Blake Mills guitar riff also, which you sent me that. That Instagram uh, video of him playing it on his own a couple of weeks ago it's it's amazing he
0: posted some videos of ju- on his Instagram page, Blake Mills, of just him playing the individual parts that you hear on every song um, and the swelling guitar uh, that he does on this it it sounds like like a boat rocking on the waves with the moon above it it's uh beautiful um it really does feel like it's a universal song in a way um it feels like it's about a human feeling of surrendering to someone else giving of yourself it, it it's very profound in that way
1: yeah it's it, it's uh there's something universal about it um, as as there is in all great love songs, and like we said, just coming coming where it does on this record that is so much more about like sort of on one hand, some of the songs are about Bob himself more so than I think a lot of uh, of Bob's material has been throughout the years. Um, you know, he's he's very interested in himself as a phenomenon at this point, rightfully so. Not not in like a navel gazing kind of way, but I contain multitudes or False Prophet. Um, are, you know, he's, he's in dialogue with like, you know, this, this image of himself that he's created over the years, the myth. So it's, e- it's either that, or it's like, you know, these grander interrogations of, you know, just the, the entire world in which he has, has come up a murder foul or, um, uh, or mother of muses for instance, um, or goodbye, Jimmy Reed, you know, whatever, you know, those are, those are kind of the two poles that he vacillates between and then just right in the middle he takes time to to drop in one just what you get one love song on this record but it is it is uh uh, just you know it's a stunner it, it knocks you out
0: a home run um yeah i guess if we're only talking about that song then maybe we can also just talk a bit about i guess murder most foul uh and key west as well um what do you think about that song these these are the longest songs on the record. Yes,
1: yeah. The uh, the last three songs, crossing the Rubicon, I think is like seven and a half, and then Key West is like nine and a half or something, and then Murder Most Foul is like eighteen, basically.
0: Murder Most Foul takes up its own side of, of record, right? Exactly. Of record.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Key West is um Key West is is
0: the place to be when when you're searching, searching for, for immortality, immortality.
1: right? Uh, down in Key West,
0: I I think. This song has popped up a lot. I've seen as people citing it as their favorite on the record. It seems to be a fan favorite. I I find this song uh just to be really nice. It's just like a a great come down from the record, uh, leading into a whole other can of worms with murder Most foul. But um, I like the metaphor or the image of this uh being on a kind of imagine right. being on a boat the whole record I'm kind of imagining <laughs> being on like a, a little boat. Um, and especially on this one, sort of like floating around in the Bay and uh, l- listening to these transmissions from a radio um, that sort of give you a uh, little hints of uh, beautiful songs and uh, sentiments floating through the air from across the world. It's uh, kind of mirrored actually in Murdermost Foul, which also has a radio metaphor, um, extended radio sequence, which has uh, a a bit of a different feel. Yeah. Least.
1: Yeah. I was, uh, I, I I think honestly, we might like, we could probably spend a little bit of time on Murdermost Foul, like in its own, <laughs> just like its own episode. De-
0: Why don't we just do that then? Because I, I feel like. The, yeah, I don't want to glaze over that. There's, it's basically there, like talking about a small book,
1: right? Yeah, and, and they're, they're like that on a record that's so so densely packed with allusions. Um, like this song in particular is just like is one after the it's, other after the other.
0: It's it's the fireworks finale of uh, references and um, I think we made the right choice by not trying to discuss in detail all of these songs because you should just listen to it um, hopefully we've convinced you to do that but uh Murder Most Val, yeah, I think is a work unto itself that would be fun to unpack on its own
1: I agree yeah, I mean, I don't know I don't know what else there is to say, really. Right now, it's just—I uh, mean, there, there is more to say, but I—I I don't know that I'm the one to say it, or or that either of us are. I think it's just this is a record that you need to to just live with and and let it wash over you. Uh, and I'm really, I, I really like. Part of me was kind of upset uh, that that it was coming out in the circumstances in which it has come out, um, especially like I what I would not give to hear him play some of these songs live. Um, oh, you know, yeah, at this point. Of uh, on the never ending tour, um, and those obviously won't be happening anytime soon. But uh, you know, I think there is—I don't know—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm seeing already like these are profound times we're living in, uh, to say the least. And I can see myself ten years from now dropping the needle on this record and you know queuing up "I Contain Multitudes" and just being warped back to this like just fucked up whirlwind vortex that we're all living in, and having this like I don't know, you know vivid kind of sense memory association with it, for better or worse. But it it seems like something that's going to be kind of like stenciled onto my brain, Um, you know.
0: It is an instant classic. Uh, Not that many times, or I feel like I can say that super confidently. Um, But there we go. Instant classic album. This is a timeless record, and it's made to be timeless.
1: It sure is. Run, don't walk to your nearest record purveyor and/or yeah. uh, streaming music service to listen to "Rough and Rowdy Ways," Bob Dylan's 2020 LP released on Columbia Records.
0: Also, I feel like this is a great thing to have come out in the midst of our our project here with with this podcast because it turns out that anybody who gave up on Bob Dylan. At any point in his career, during the darkest nights of the soul, which we have yet to approach on our program
1: during the during the knocked out loaded phase
0: yes, uh to to name names. Um, they were wrong <laughs> and uh, if you ever questioned whether Bob Dylan would just flame out, um, that's just something that didn't happen. One of few truly good things to happen uh in this timeline this fucked up timeline we live is that bob dylan's career bounced back with a vengeance and has now that he's won the nobel prize for literature and released this album been cemented with the golden seal of uh the golden seal the great the great seal of Alzheimer's,
1: but only a 4 from anthony fantano
0: Light four to um, strong five from Anthony Fantano, the internet's busiest music nerd. Nerd. The nerd. This has been Jokerman, and uh, thank you for joining us. Is that it? All right. One one month in the rough and rowdy house.